when when you get into a business, there's always advertisement. Uh, you're obviously on a podcast. Great way to advertise. Right. Love this. Mm-hmm. What what are some of the other ways that you advertise and get the word out so people know that you're selling yeah. insurance products? So great question. So number one, they're both kind of innovative and new, and there's more expensive and less expensive. And there's a variety that, that all of them, again, it's up to you. And as an independent owner, then I continue to experiment with this and try to find the ways that either I like or reach the people that I want to reach and are successful. But so, for example, one of the traditional ways is direct mail. Part of the since I do Medicare, that's actually one that I do a lot. So, so I can buy a list of names. There's different ways to do that, but I can send out postcards to people and say, hey, I'm an independent broker. Would you like to talk about your options? I, you can even do that down to, because my ideal client from a Medicare side is turning 65 later this year. That way, because what I'll do is I'll help them understand Medicare part A and B from the government. And then once they understand it, because I, I can't offer them a solution until they have it. Once they have that, oh, then I can offer them one of my Medicare supplements or advancements. So I help them. They like that, you know, so I can do Rickman, but I can do social media. I can do uh, print advertising. I can do digital marketing, I mean, search engine optimization, there's all different ways. Like I personally have a website and uh, I have social media presence on multiple platforms. I do mailing. And then actually the thing I wanna mention is also, you mentioned podcasts, a great way to come out and just visit with people, share information. Then uh, I do a lot of networking. Uh, So I'm a member of two different chambers of commerce. So which is really just kind of getting out and meeting and greeting, meeting people and sharing information, exchanging referrals with each other. So. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes, we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we have a returning guest with us, Tom Basie. Tom is with Tom Basie Insurance. And we're going to speak about how you might want to include insurance sales into your life, either as a first or a second job. Tom, could you please introduce yourself? Let people know just a little more about you, please. Certainly. So number one, Ed, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me on again. Per your remarks, I'm Tom Basie with Basie Insurance. This is actually a second career for me, and we can talk about that. So my first career, I was an engineer and a project manager in corporate America for many years. And now I made a complete transition, and I'm four years into an independent insurance brokerage. So that's what I do. I'm actually based in Texas. But you, one of the things we can talk about is potentially how you, I can work kind of anywhere in the U.S. It is I have my state license, and I get non-resident license in other states. I'm actually in uh, eight different states currently in the U.S., from uh, Washington kind of down around over to Florida and the southern edge. And as I find the need to help someone, then I'll go and get a resident license, a non-resident license rather in the state where they are. But that's a little bit about me. That's who I am. So how did you get started in the insurance business, Tom? 
Great question. So I, I suspect like many people, I was worked in corporate America. I had insurance, didn't really even understand it, didn't really even like it. Okay. So once a year, I'd have to make some selections. Okay. And that's fine. But, and I would actually, I'd often have my wife handle that portion. So she also is an employee. So we were, you know, we would divide and conquer, but some, one day somebody called me and talked to me about a cancer policy and they talked me through. So I, I started to understand how prevalent cancer diagnosis would be and how expensive it can be. And I kind of already knew that I had a deductible and co-pays. I knew that, you know, my health insurance doesn't cover everything. So I understood the value of a cancer specific policy. And so my point is I was actually a customer first. That's so that's the real answer to the question is that I was a customer. Then flash forward a few years, I wanted a career change. I was tired of an hour commute one way each way. I was looking for a way, hey, how can I dictate my time more when I work, when I don't work, just have more control, I wanted to be entrepreneurial. And so someone actually reached out to me as I was as I was investigating career options. And so I had the opportunity to offer some cancer insurance and other policies. That was just so it kind of fell into my lap. So I was a customer first. And then as I was looking for a second career alternative, someone explained to me some of the benefits as a second or even part-time, something you can, you can dip your toe in. And so that's kind of how that happened. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about the pros and the cons of being a broker agent in mm -hmm. the insurance field? And, and so you're, and just like everything, right? There are pros and cons. And you, that's the thing. As a broker, the good, the good thing about that is I get appointed with multiple different carriers. And so that's good. And so I like the fact that I can offer somebody potentially multiple different solutions. So I call it tailoring. I can find something that fits just exactly your needs. Maybe one carrier doesn't have it in your state, but another carrier does. So I, I can do that. And there's a freedom with that. That, uh, that uh, So I have no boss, really. I'm an independent broker. Uh, they want me to do well, and so they'll support me. Sometimes the different brokers support me, even financially, as far as for one thing, you get compensated. No matter when you enroll someone in an insurance policy, typically there's a commission, but you're going to get compensated that way. Then often, as the agent of record on that policy, every year that they renew, then you're going to get a, a renewal fee on that. So it's a beat of Having said that, uh, if you're a captive agent, because you can do that, you can go to work for some company, they do more about providing you the prospects. That is potentially either people are calling into those or they buy leads. There's a variety of different ways that come. Whereas independent, I have to do more than a month. So I have to seek out potential new clients. So it, So there's so the pro is I'm more freedom and I can tell the solution and I can just define my time and all kinds of the cons are I have to own more of the, of the process. So I have to find people. You can be a captive agent. I have a cousin who's a captive agent. In fact, she's done both. She's gone back and forth. She was captive for a while, went independent and went back to captive. She likes the full featured functionality that being a captive person is. And, and candidly in her state, I think their particular company really rules the roost on the product offering she has. For example, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about Medicare. I think that particular carrier in that particular state, they're, you're hard pressed to compete against them. So I think she found it better for her to, to be captive. Or conversely, in my state, there are multiple uh, carriers. They're all very good. You know, you think of all the hot, the, you think of the names of the big in, uh, health insurance, they all offer Medicare, for example, and they're all in my state and they all do a good job. I'd rather kind of be able to use whichever one work for somebody. So that's a little bit about the differences, I would say. Yeah. So what does it take to actually become an independent agent? Great question. And Great question. what type of schooling? How long? Great question. So that's, that's the thing. So I actually, my undergraduate in engineering, and then I have a master's in business. And that benefited me a lot in corporate America. And I, and I was, I'm glad for the education. I learned a lot from it. I continue to use that in certain ways. 
and it helped me in corporate America. However, one of the things they will say in the insurance industry, and the, the accuracy of this is like any broad generalization, maybe it's not 100% accurate, they, they'll say like, it's the only thing where you don't have to do an undergraduate degree and you can still be very, very successful. And that's the thing. So to your point, really, you, you must pass a, a, a state insurance license exam. And so you've got to get, you've got to study for that exam and pass that exam. And so that's kind of step one. And typically what happens is you are sponsored by one or more people, maybe an agency or an FMO, a field marketing organization, an agency of people if they're independent, or maybe it's a captive. But, but one more another, typically they're going to sponsor you that potentially that'll mean they will pay for your, uh, your preparation coursework and or potentially pay for exam that kind of varies individual, but somebody has got to pay for that. Uh, and then once you take that exam, now that I've got a license, the state recognizes that, okay, we know that guy, we've got his name, maybe done some background checks, because typically there's a couple of, number one, typically you're going to need to not have bankruptcy at least in, for X number of years, and typically you're not going to be able to have a criminal court. So they kind of want people to be, uh, they want some, there's some limited things. Besides that, besides those qualifications, then you pass that exam and you, you understand what a deductible is, you understand uh, what a copay is, coinsurance. And then now you've got that license, then you have to get appointed with one or more carriers. If you're going to sell one life insurance policy, well, the license alone doesn't do it. One company has to appoint you. And so then you've got to get appointed with them. And typically, similarly, they need to have some level of training so that you understand their products in particular. And often there's a, there's some example, there's some compliance. They want you to understand. Everybody basically requires, for example, uh, anti-money laundering. And so it's it's the industry. It's, it's interesting. It is pretty regulated. That's the thing. What I There are pros and cons to that, right? regulation makes things challenging, but it also, it's safeguard. So like every year I've got to take any Monday laundering training just to make sure that I'm up on the latest trends. Cause what they don't want that literally people can come in a bad actors can come with some kind of funds and they can potentially use insurance policies to kind of launder the money. So it's important to understand that and follow procedures to make like one of the obvious things is called know your customer as you need to know a little bit about that person. Can they present a, an, a, an identification? Are they living in the state where you're supposed to be all this kind of stuff? So, there's some regulation, but but having said all that, the simple answer is ah, just get an insurance license and get appointed with one carrier, and then you can sell somebody some kind of insurance solution. And then uh, also you need a business license and all well, that. Well, potentially, you don't necessarily have to. That's a great point. So that's, that kind of goes back to the captive. So I personally, I want to, I went ahead and I did want to step. So I, there are different ways to to form your business. I personally have an LLC, a limited liability company, but they're different. So you can incorporate, you can be a sole proprietorship. But interestingly, all, all I'm saying is you don't necessarily have to. In other words, if you're a captive agent, you're still kind of an employee of those people. So it, there's a, there's some flexibility in that. But I guess I kind of like that. That's another thing that I like. So in other words, I might use the word flexibility, even freedom. That is, the industry allows you to kind of do things different ways, depending on what you want. And personally, I've been appointed with a lot of different carriers. Some carriers, I stick with them. Some carriers, I don't, just kind of depending on either the level of support I get or how easy it is to use their system, whatever it is. But no, you really don't have to do that necessarily. But but I did. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. And so since you said that, what I would offer is, so uh, limited liability. So it's, it's convenient to separate things. For one thing, oh, I guess to your, seriously, an example of if these carriers, they'll want you to get to have some E&O, errors and emissions insurance. And so in addition to getting, so having my license, I've got this thing that makes certain that for what, if I make a mistake, right, errors and emissions, if I make a mistake on the form, be it electronic or paper, if, if something goes wrong, that allow, I don't want to screw that up, right? In other words, what if I got somebody's birth date wrong? Someone's 
67. I wrote it down. They were 37 years old. And they, you know, so, you, so bottom line is you do have to have some insurance in place. That's not terribly expensive, though. But um, your question. So but the other thing is, so I have an LLC so that in theory, then somebody couldn't come back and sue me and take my house or something because things went through. So I've got I've got E&O insurance right. protecting me and I've got an LLC to protect that. So that that's pretty interesting. Uh, talk to us about what it takes for you to do business like a home office or do you walk the streets? Do you have to have a location somehow? So let's talk about that. That's the thing I'm telling you. This is number one, there's flexibility. And number two, uh, in this new post COVID world, things got turned on their heads a little bit, right? So actually you can be completely virtual. When I say completely virtual, then you will not service some subset of populations that are not receptive to that, either because they want you to physically come and sit at the coffee table. Some people still do. But my point is you can do that. You can have a physical presence. Uh, I personally have been, I, I ha, you can do co-working. So I personally have a co-working space. So if I need to be somewhere with somebody, then I can do that. I do let, run largely virtual these days, but I'm considering going ahead and investing in some small plot of real estate. These days, Another thing I like about the insurance business is my inventory. I don't have supply chain issues. You know what I mean? My inventory, my inventory yeah. at the end of the day, the solutions yeah. I provide someone are a policy. And it's and a policy, by the way, since I'm at this point in the conversation, it's a contract between the insured and a big insurance carrier. So the good, so I so there's a lot of different things I like about that. I can get that policy instantaneously. It's customized to the person. They can get electronic or paper, however they want it. The custom the the, the big insurers got it. So it's the, the inventory is simply not an issue for the most part. I really like that aspect of it. And it allows me to make be this flexibility. That's the thing. I have laptop computers largely. I go If I go to someone's house, I'm largely taking that along. And if I want to show them something, if I want to run an illustration, or if I, or if I want to get them the detailed ex, explanation of benefits, a booklet of their standard insurance policy, I can get that all kind of real time. So you can be as virtual as you want. Having said that, like I say, I'm considering making a purchase because number one, if I buy purchase, then uh, I'll get drive-by traffic potentially. If I did it, ideally, I can have my on own signage. And then I have physical yeah. place to store certain things. And then actually, I, I've got a couple people that kind of work with me. That's another thing. You can, if you want to have full-time employees, you can provide them a place to sit in front of PCs. So there's, it's flexible. So you can, you can. That's I'm, I'm telling you, that's a recurring thing. So you can kind of do it however you want. There, there, there are pros and cons to any of these series, but you can be virtual. You can be at home. You can do co-working space. You can. Uh, Keep uh, you can keep uh, employees. You can you can allow them to be hybrid. Bring them in periodically to have uh, team meetings, or they can be all virtual. It's it's flexible. So, say somebody wants to make this a full time gig, and they they want to make a good living. What dedication does it take, and how much business do you have to bring in each month? to maintain a level mm -hmm. for your livelihood. Well, okay, well, let's talk about that. So number one, if you go captive, you can have some base salary sometimes, right? They will pay you something. But even then, typically, insurance does tend to be commission-driven. So I'm completely commission-driven. I don't get it. I'm not an employee. So that's the thing. Again, the pros and cons, there's a freedom with this, okay? Um, but but to, to your remark, over time, as you accumulate a book of business, so in other words, the first time I enrolled someone and provided them some solution, whatever policy it was, I don't know if it was a cancer policy, a life policy, I'm not sure my very first one, uh, yeah, I don't, but whatever that was four years ago, 
I start piling those up and it's called a book of business. And when I have that, well, one, those people trust me. I can offer them other things. Uh, if they have a problem with the carrier, and the next thing I like to use big reputable carriers. So typically, I don't have much trouble with uh, existing customer service. Typically, the big companies take good care of them. But so those are mine. Over time, as I accumulate that, every year that those people renew their policies, I get paid a renewal. So depending on what, here's the, here's the challenge of me answering you conclusively. Depending on what those type of policies are, what some people only do life insurance. Personally, I do Medicare. I do life. I do some of these supplemental things like cancer. And then I do long-term care. So I have a variety of different solutions. The How those pay varies slightly on how much upfront monies you get. And sometimes you can actually even dial it. You can say, give me more of my commission now. And, and, and then there's the, the, the annual renewal that they pay. But at the end of the day, for me personally, rather than looking at that, someone could look at that and try to optimize that. I prefer to look at the people that I'm talking with and figure out what solution they need and enroll them in that. So some, so someone could, in other words, like here's, here's here's some other examples. Medicare commissions, I can't split those with somebody. If somebody somebody says, hey, I got my mom, even if they have, even if they're insured guys, so I partner with other insurance. Like I partner with property and casualty people all the time. Okay. The potentially they could actually offer some of the solutions I offer. I don't go the other way though, and they don't want to. They want to concentrate on bundling your car and your home order. But they'll, my point is they can, if they told me a Medicare person, I can't split that commission. Medicare is, is built that way. It's a relatively small commission that would last or longer, maybe, maybe not. But my point is, but if it was a life insurance policy, and again, they can write some of those as well. We can actually split that. If they know someone and I have a solution that either gets them more face value for a lesser premium, then they will actually partner with me. And I can split the commission with them if they are licensed and appointed with the same carrier. Now, that's a trick. Sometimes they're not. In other words, if, if they're one of the big people that have TV advertisements that want to protect your cars and uh, uh, homes, that kind of stuff, those they they have some life insurance policies, but those are not typically the ones I have. I have other independent carriers, the ones that uh, won't get it. That's thing I like to I like to be agnostic, but uh, ones that have cut, cut commercials about big, pretty, uh, scenic. They they. They tend to not, they don't talk about the car and the home. There's other carriers that offer life insurance and other solutions, long-term care. Some of them do all that too. But I guess my point is, if you and I are two different insurance agents and we both appointed with the same carrier, then we can refer one to the other and we can even split the commission where you can't do that necessarily in Medicare. So my point is, there's even flexibility there. So that's the thing. If you want to specialize in one or more of these, then you get both the benefits and the challenges with each one of those markets. You know, uh, Medicare is, I, I really, I can't cold call. I can't just reach out. I, I get a, I can't buy a list of 65 year olds and call them. I'm not allowed to. They're protected. Even though it happens all the time, they're protected. I'm not supposed to reach out to someone on Medicare uh, out of the blue without a permission to contact. Where conversely, if I want to, I can, I can approach anybody about life insurance, for example. There's no restriction on that. So they're just differences. Right. So, so there are restrictions on the Medicare end of it, how you approach and yeah, uh, that that's very interesting also. I, and it, it makes it more challenging, think. but I like it. So not only do I have to have your permission if you're over 65 to approach about it, every time we sit down, I really got to document and make, like they don't want me to do a bait and switch. I personally don't have burial plots to sell, but they want to make certain that I don't somehow use a Medicare dialogue to then talk to you about some other products. So there's a scope important for where I have to mark and say, if I'm, if I'm talking Medicare, yeah, we're talking about Medicare supplements, advantage plans, uh, prescription plans, maybe hospital indemnity, but that's thing. It doesn't say anything about burial plots. And so I can't talk about that in there. And when I do that, right. That's uh, okay. So when, when you get into 
a business, there's always advertisement. Uh, you're obviously on a podcast. Great way to advertise. Right. Love this. Mm -hmm. What What are some of the other ways that you advertise and get the word out so people know that you're selling yeah. insurance products? So great question. So number one, they're both kind of innovative and new, and there's more expensive and less expensive. And there's a variety that, that all of them, again, it's up to you. And as an independent owner, then I continue to experiment with this and try to find the ways that either I like, reach the people that I want to reach and are successful. But so for example, one of the traditional ways is direct mail. Part of the reason, since I do Medicare, that's actually one that I do a lot. So, so I can buy a list of names. There's different ways to do that, but I can send out postcards to people and say, hey, I'm an independent broker. Would you like to talk about your options? I, you can even do that down to, because my ideal client from a Medicare side is turning 65 later this year. That way, because what I'll do is I'll help them understand Medicare part A and B from the government. And then once they understand it, because I, I can't offer them a solution until they have, once they have that, oh, then I can offer them one of my Medicare supplements or advancements. So I help them. They like that, you know, so I can do Rick Man, but I can do social media. I can do uh, print advertising. I can do digital marketing, I mean, search engine optimization, there's all different ways. Like I personally have a website and uh, I have social media presence on multiple platforms. I do mailing. And then actually the thing I want to mention is also, you mentioned podcasts, a great way to come out and just visit with people, share information. And then uh, I do a lot of networking. So I'm a member of two different chambers of commerce. So which is really just kind of getting out and meeting and greeting, meeting people and sharing information, exchanging referrals with each other. So there's a any, any way that businesses do advertising, that's an option as well. Although I will, like I'll say Medicare was a little bit more uh, uh, limited, but you can't, uh, and or cold call. Literally, I can or I can pay somebody to pick up the phone and dial people uh, to say, sir, madam, do you have a, uh, you have a mortgage? Yes, I do. Well, do you want to leave your family uh, with that? What if you were unfortunately passed away, God forbid, Next week, would your family have the funds available to pay off the mortgage and or are they going to be able to replace your income? So that's one of the things that life insurance offers. So you can do that. You, you can call, you, you can walk door to door. Actually, I, I've done that some for small business because I offer some solutions for small business. I've gone door to door in an industrial park, too. So there's there's all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there anything important that we did not cover about getting into the insurance field? Uh, I don't know that it's uh, that we haven't. I think we've done a decent job of talking about getting in initially. I think really with the more interesting thing is the long term. So I'd like to spend a little bit more time remarking about that. And so, like I say, for I, I want to speak generically because it'll vary across different solutions. But if you're going to enroll someone in a solution, like I, I enrolled my son in a life insurance policy recently. I'm, I'm quoting uh, this week with a cousin of mine, a long-term care policy. I, ha I have long-term care policies on myself as well. But I guess my point is, whichever, whichever one you enroll, your compensation will vary. For example, a life insurance policy, the size of it, that is how, what is the face value, and how much, you're, how much the person is going to pay for that, that will vary in that alone, I'll just talk about that. And so my son is very young. He's in his 20s. And the policy, it was a good size. It was like almost 500K. Guess what? That didn't cost very much for him. That's because he's younger. The older they are, the more expensive it's going to be. But my point is the compensation that the company, that particular carrier paid for me, is going to be a function of one of the ways to estimate it is the annual premium. So take whatever number my son is paying per month, multiply that by 12. That's what the first year premium is. Well, they'll give me some percentage of that. Let's just say 30%, 50%, whatever that number is. That's the commission. Boom, there. Now, every year, and my son, he's in his 20s, I and he's got a 30-year mortgage. I enrolled him in a 30-year term life insurance policy. 
you have the option to, to renew that. It'll be much higher rate then because it'll be 30 years older. But my point is every year that he keeps that, then they'll give me some smaller percentage. Maybe it's 6%, but they'll give me that each year. But my message is one of the, when a, from a pure financial standpoint, one of the things I like about this. So the number one thing I like is the flexibility. The second thing I like about it is the way that, and it's a, it's a, it's a mindset shift. Most people, be it hour, hourly or salary, you're accustomed to, you're doing some work and you compensate for that. You do some work and you compensate for that. Even if you're a, a, a cardiac surgeon, they go in there and they make big bucks. I don't know, 300, 500K a year. I don't know. And they're in there and it's high, it's high pressure. Few people know how to do it. And, and it's, it's dangerous and very important work. So they get super compensated. But I think right after the surgery is over, then they're not getting paid anymore. And so if they, they, they stop, I think they stop generating room. Where these things were an insurance policy, if you build this book of business over time, you're helping people, you're accumulating this book of business, and it will continue to pay you. So in theory, if you have uh, 1,000 policies that you've accumulated over X years, you've enrolled, but, and that's saying you can have more than one policy with one person, but, but if you did uh, 500 people then, two policies, so you have 1,000 policies, and if each one of those things just pays you uh, $100 or $200 a year, well, that's $200,000. So it can be, so over time, it can be, and it's going to continue to pay that. Now, of course, people will pass away. People will decide not to pay. There's reason, there's reasons why the attrition will fall. That's why you keep working to, to build your book of business and to retain it. But my point is, I, I like that. And it's, it's a fascinating, I'm four years in, it's fascinating how I'm working now and the payment that I get is really from stuff that I've already done. And so it's an interesting but there's a freedom associated with that too. Now, I can kind of do whatever I want because I'm getting paid anyway for stuff I already did. And or I, I because I understand and know that I'm working now for getting paid in the future. So so do they catalog and ledger? You know, you get this book of business. Mm -hmm. As you say, people die or they give up mm -hmm. their policies. How do they notify you of all of these changes all the time? Well, they won't necessarily know. notify me. They it, I, these days I can log in, and so the thing I'm appointed with a lot of different carriers, okay, and and can't and so what I do is so I have it at an aggregate database where I keep track of myself. So any person that I so one thing if I'm talking to somebody, I keep them over here on this list. Once I enroll them in a policy, they move to this here. They're my clients list, and I mark down what solutions they have. Now, admittedly, to your point. That system will let me know. Not necessarily will the carrier know, kind of depending on what it is. Maybe if they if they pass away, then actually I think I do get a notification on that carrier to carrier. But what if they just decide and switch? Then I won't necessarily know it. So I could, you could argue well, what I would need to do is do a kind of reconciliation each year. But I don't necessarily do that because candidly, once I enroll someone, like I like to send out end of the year presents. You know, one appreciation of the people, two will keep me in mind for referrals. It's just a good business policy, and so I'll send those things out. And I like to check in with people. Hey, how are you doing? Sometimes I just shoot them a note. But I guess my point is, I don't worry about that too much. If someone, but if someone wanted to know, if you needed to know that, then you do a reconciliation uh, each year to make certain. And, I, and I'm telling you, I know sometimes somebody has left me, but I'll still go ahead and send them something at least a year or two, just to, I'm grateful they had that and just keep me in mind. Yeah, interesting. So, so it's real true entrepreneurship here. Yeah. You, don't really know what your paycheck's going to be until you get it. Uh, that's correct. That's a great point. And so that's the thing in my, so I have this business bank. I have my personal stuff in my business bank account. These different carriers pay me stuff. Anytime I enroll someone, then I get paid something. 
That, that's the way it works. And then periodically, yes, I get the renewals as well. So yeah. So your one of your original questions, this level, well, you just have to work long enough so that that level's high enough that you don't care, right? In other words, what if you need right. if you need four thousand dollars a month? Well, you just work until you're getting at least that on average from the different things, and you keep working, it'll continue to grow. But at least you're above that. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, of of course. Once you get a stack of clients mm-hmm. and that residual income, that's pretty nice, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, uh, that's basically all the questions I have for you. Uh, do you have a call to action for people? My request is, if this is, is something you're interested in, reach out to me. I, for one thing, I, that's the thing. In my business, to your point, I'm very entrepreneurial. I just like to meet and connect to people, and we never know how we're going to help each other. So I might be able to help somebody with a life insurance policy. I might be able to help them make the same transition I did. They can leave the job that they're at and do this. So really, the call to action is, to connect with me through uh, social media, whichever platform they want, I'm probably out there. You either find me, Tom Basie, or you can find Basie Insurance. Connect us and let's further the conversation. So I, to your point, I am endorsing this as a career change. In other words, there's this great resignation going on. If you're leaving your work for whatever reason, either because you can't afford to pay the gas, or if you don't want, you want more time, or you're burnt out. I mean, there's right. We we don't we don't have we we don't. You couldn't do a whole podcast on just that alone. There's so many reasons why. But this is one to consider, and I would love to have the dialogue with somebody just to think about it further. So the call to action is: reach out to me. Let's connect and let's talk about let's let's talk about more each person's individual situation. And could you let people know exactly where to find you, please? So Tom Basie B A S E Y, so they can find me find me in. Facebook, LinkedIn, Alignable, Nextdoor, all those things. I'm pretty much there. Uh, Basie Insurance as well. I do have, if, if, we've got, if they've got video, I've got the QR code here that will take you to Basie-Insurance.com. So I, I'm telling you, if you, if you search on a social, uh, on a, a web uh, a search engine, you'll find me as well. Tom Basie, they'll find me. And, and for the listeners that are not with us, you can go to youtube or the dead america website find our episode of tom basie and you will be able to just click on the qr code on the video portion of this podcast tom i want to say thank you for joining us again you're an awesome guest and you're always welcome to join us again sir all right wonderful i always enjoy my time here so thanks very much for hosting you have a good rest of your day Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.